Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure takes us to Chicago. We're going to check in with a 15-year front office employee turned career coach and fan experience consultant. Uh, In fact, she kind of specializes in helping uh, high-achieving women create the career they've always dreamed of having in the sports industry. Hosts her own podcast, Game of Her Own. Please welcome Jahan Blake. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And I really kind of wish that you could like follow me around and give me that intro all of the time in that perfect radio voice. That was great. We're happy, happy to be your hype man anytime. Yes. Uh, well, you know, I mean, we're talking to you some, some great industry experience, you know, in, in, you know, whether it's with the Cubs there in Chicago or, you know, the, the Dodgers, Red Sox, a lot of stuff we'll get into. But let's talk about what you're doing right now. What does it mean to be a career coach slash fan experience consultant? Yeah, I, the best way, so I'm a storyteller, so y'all have to bear with me, but the best way to tell you is to tell you how I, I kind of got into that. So yeah, please take your time. Yeah, when I started my own business, I wanted to do the work I've been doing for 15 years. I knew that I I really enjoyed it and I was good at it. Well, I'm still good at it, right? And just toot my own horn. That's something I always tell my clients. And I thought, all right, I met my husband here in Chicago. I'm kind of sick of moving around from team to team. I thought I would do that my whole entire you know, career. And so I thought, you know, consultants tend to, I've seen the invoices come in. They make more than me. And so like, <laughs> I, I, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and then they're the priority, right? They come into an organization regardless of what department you're in, right? So marketing, um, sponsorship, the consultant comes in, they are a focus, they are the priority, they get the work done and then they're gone. And I'm like, that's what I want. I don't know if it's easy to build, but that's what I want. And so that's what I, I left to go do. So when I did that, I started to, I had some really great contracts. I got to work, uh, the Atlanta Braves were one of my first MLB teams that I worked with. I got to work on Super Bowl and Pro Bowl, which was also fun and more of a contract style versus consulting, but also you know great work. And I loved that I had a seat at the table with these clients that I was working with. And I remember at the Braves, I was sitting, you know, my client was a VP. She's now an SVP, but she, you know, we were sitting in her boss's office, which is the president. So here I am. I'm like, I am finally at the table. People are listening to me. Well, what? Like, I feel like I'm, I'm missing something. Like it wasn't like, I remember coming home from that, you know, trip. And I was like, this is great. I can keep doing this, but something felt like it was missing. And I miss people coming to my office and asking me for help and career guidance and how to get to the next level. And, you know, sometimes people were working for me and wanted to work in different areas. And I was like, okay, let's, let's come up with a game plan. Like I didn't take any offense to it. I wanted to help, you know, level, like help level up their game. And so I thought, well, why can't I have two sides of my business? Why can't I do career coaching for women? I want to focus on women, uh, career coaching for women who work in sports and also do the consulting as well. And so that's how I came up with the two sides of my business. That's 
Awesome. And, and, you know, I think that's amazing to have that flexibility too, to be able to like kind of dip your toes in two different pools and kind of enjoy both areas. And I think, you know, maybe something we could hit on too is career coaching women in sports. I mean, I think that is so important. I think we're all seeing, thankfully, uh, a lot of those uh, glass ceilings being cracked or broken. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And it's later than it should have been in many cases, but it at least is starting to happen. But, uh, you know, what what do you think that landscape looks like from your side? You know, you're coaching women. What, what do you think are some of the challenges that people are are experiencing that maybe, you know, others can help, you know, and assist, you know, because everyone, like you said, everyone needs to be their own advocate. But we all know that, you know, they also everyone is responsible for kind of making sure people are represented in that room. And, you know, men yes. especially need to invite the women to those tables and and everything. So, you know, what do you think are some of like those challenges that you think uh, people could really, you know, identify and help, you know, their coworkers with? Yeah, I, I really, I really love that question. And I don't, I don't get that a lot. Like how can we help women in sports? How can we help the the clientele that you're working with? And I've got that question once before. So I will say what I see and then how people can help are kind of two different things. So what I see are the, the people who come to me or are women who have felt you know, marginalized or feel like they've lost their voice. They've been asked to sit on the sidelines. And why I identify with that so much is because I've been in all those same positions, right? Or, you know, they are managing a team for the first time and they don't know what they're doing. And their manager, their boss has so much confidence in them, but they're like, like, but how do I do this? <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like managing a team is a huge undertaking and really sure. impacts yeah. the bottom line of a company. So it's, you know, I see those sort of are the bigger topics that I see from people. And that's what I work with clients, how to find their voice, how to advocate for themselves, how to, you know, find allies um, within their organization or mentors within their organization. I'm um, playing, you know, politics, internal politics, I was horrible. I was horrible doing that. And I hated yes. it. Like it just didn't make Relatable. sense to me. Yeah. Like it just didn't make any sense to me. Like we all just do our job and we work together and like, don't, can we all just get along? And no, it's just not how it works. And so it's fine. And so like I had to learn and I had a really great mentor, Charles Steinberg and Sarah McKenna, who taught me when I was at the Red Sox, um, you know, and I would just kind of watch and they would help, help me and they've helped me throughout my entire career. So I, in turn, just want to do that for women in sports as well. I think when you look at the, how you can help, it is, it, it, I mean, it all starts with, I think everyone knows this, right? It all starts with just listening, right? And, and being curious and not coming in and let me save the day. But let me ask you questions so I understand where I can help you. And then one of my favorite questions to ask my clients, one of my favorite questions to ask people who work for me now is what what does support look like for me? How can I how can I help you? Because sometimes it's just like nothing. I remember one woman we were at Super Bowl and woo, I mean she was a rock star. It was her first Super Bowl, and um, I was so excited to have her to be a part of the team. And she like just had a moment and it's ruled really hard. And she just, depending on the work you're doing, it could be really grueling and intense and she broke down. And so I remember saying like, I, I wanted to save the day. It was very hard. Like, you know, I wanted to rush in and like 
protect her and help her, but that's not yeah. what she needed. And I, uh, the only way yeah. I knew that was by saying, what does support look like right now for me? And she said, I just, I needed to get that out. I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to come back and I just want to move on. Done. Like, just go, just go do that. So I think it's being able to listen to your colleagues, being able to ask them what support looks like. So if you're in a meeting and you're in, you know, you see a, um, you see somebody, let's say, I don't know, people keep talking over, a, you know, a female coworker of yours. And then you, you want to jump in and be like, oh, well, let's hear what she has to say. I think that's great. But then also afterwards, you can say, hey, saw that was going on. If you need to vent, um, let me know. If you want to talk about that, let me know. Um, and then that just makes them feel safe. Like, oh, someone else saw it. I'm not the only one. And then they left the door open. I barely know him, but he kind of just like that makes you, that gives you that psychological safety that you need so much at work in order to thrive. And I try that at home too. That's actually a really, really good, good advice. You know, just <laughs> you know, <laughs> sure it comes, comes in handy. So, yes. you know, you know, when you're, when you're talking specifically, you know, with women in sports and we've had a, a, a you know, quite a few guests that, you know, fit that description here on the, the podcast, but Who's the right candidate for career coaching? You guys are coming with the good questions. I love it. Okay. So, I mean, the simple answer is anyone who is looking for that support, right? Career coaching is not for everyone. Leadership development is not for everybody. So it's that person who feels I, I am, I'm stuck and I could use some help and support getting lack of a better word, unstuck. I could use some help. Like I want to get to the next level. I have sure. tried these four or five things and it's not working. I can use some help to get to that next level. And I'm like a reflective coach. So I don't come in and tell you exactly what to do. We get there together. I ask a lot, a lot of questions. And um, a lot of my clients will say like, I don't even, that was like therapy. Like I just, I, I don't <laughs> even know what just happened, but I feel, I feel lighter and better. So like, cause the answers are within them. So it's really somebody who wants support, wants to get to the next level, and isn't quite sure how to do that. And maybe their manager doesn't have the time to spend with them. Their mentor doesn't have the time to spend with them to set those goals, hold them accountable, do, you know, you know, all of my clients have um, unlimited access to me. So they can send me boxer messages. They can, you know, email me. They I can review their documents. So it's somebody who is just really looking for, I almost like to call it like a like your secret weapon. Oh, that, that makes that makes perfect sense, right? So what let's let's just get into specifics just real quick. I want to turn this into a commercial for you, but but I know one of the things you do is you kind of offer somebody a chance to have that first kind of conversation or consultation with you to see if it's the right thing for a person when, right? Yeah. 100%. Like you, like, I mean, I, I've worked with coaches before for different um, parts of my, my business and not everyone's the right fit for you. So um, I can get along with anybody and um, you know, can you put me inside a paper bag and I'll make a friend with somebody. Like, it's just, it's who I am, <laughs> but not everybody is like that. And so once you talk to me, um, I want to make sure you feel like it's a fit. I want to understand what you want to get out of it, what your goals are, and can I help support you? Now I've had um, a potential client. She wanted to talk to me. Uh, so excited to talk to her and we talked through it. And I, said, I don't know that, I don't know that you need my help. 
Like I, I honestly, and I told her, you know, who I work with and what I do. And she, and she was like, I think you're right. I don't, I just, I needed to talk this out. I, I don't. And so, you know, I'm not, I, I don't, you know, not every single person is going to be um, the perfect client. Um, and so that's what that 20 minute free session is for, for us to feel each other out and make sure I can help you achieve your goals. I think something too that happens often in the live event and sports industries is, and we see this too, and you're someone who, which we'll get into, hosts a podcast, and I'm sure you hear this from your guests, but it's easy to be isolated, I think, uh, because often, especially if you're in a smaller market, but even bigger markets, you know, there's one baseball team, there's one football team. Like if you're in a role in some sort of department at one of those organizations, chances are there's very few other people in that city that are in a similar role. And so it's really hard to have that, you know, structure that you might normally be able to get from like a friend or something that can give you some career advice. Chances are all your friends are working in a different industry and it's a little bit of a different beast. So I think, I think that is an important thing that you provide and something that I'm sure you are able to even hone your 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 skill on is the more you talk to all these people and see their challenges, you probably start to see some patterns and see, you know, kind of you have this tool book of, okay, I've seen, well, this one organization did something similar to that and here's how they handled it and here's what they did right and what they did wrong and maybe you can use it to better your journey. But I think that it is very important for people in live events and sports to really talk to each other because it, it's really easy to kind of get trapped in your world, in your city and feel like there's not a lot of people to lean on. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. And what I find is, you know, from my personal experience, you know, growing up in the industry, I felt like when you talk to a friend who just doesn't know the industry, they like to tell you what to do. Right. Like they like to give you advice. They don't, they don't like take that the time. Really work. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, you don't get it. And then you're like, it's a debate about, you know, how they, and you're like, okay, this didn't work at all. Or you don't debate them and you walk away and you're like, great. Like you gave me advice, but that was like, that was like almost like a projection that, that was through the filter of what like you see every day. And it has nothing to do with me. And then sometimes that also happens when you talk to somebody in your industry, right? So if you talk to your counterpart, um, I, I was, I loved talking to anybody who did what I did in any city, any team, any venue. I love to just learn from them. But when you go to them for advice, sometimes, and I, I was guilty of this when I, I was working for a team, this is how to do it. This is exactly what you need to do, right? And it's not their job to ask you a ton of questions and try to figure out what you're, where you're trying to get to. But they just kind of give you a playbook here, go. And what I like to do a little bit differently is really understand like, where are the roadblocks that you are facing and how can I help you get over them? Because I can give you all the tools and resources, but if you keep hitting this one wall that nobody knows about and you don't even know about, and you can't figure out why you're not performing at your best, then it doesn't, it doesn't do any good. Jahan, you talked about kind of growing up in the industry, but it kind of goes back before that. I think sports is just in your DNA. Let's go back to the beginning. Where did where did that love of sports come from for you? Yeah, it was always, I think it really started. So I started playing soccer, according to my father, when I was three, right? And so <laughs> I think that my my father was and still is my biggest hype man. 
So like he, anybody, you would just hear him talking to people and he would always like, just talk about, you know, oh, my daughter, this, my, you know, there's, there's four of us. And he would always talk about how great we were doing. And so of course, like when you're in the, like the family, you just can't help it when you're little kids, you just want to make your parents happy. Right. And that really never goes away, which is a whole yeah. other problem, but that's a conversation. It's a different with type of therapy, therapist. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. But like, so it started there. And then like my older brother loved watching sports and he'd get so animated and so into it. And so of course I like was like, what are you watching? I want to be like you, you know what I mean? And so like I would hang out and like watch, you know, sports with my older brother. And then that just never went away and like i just loved the game i loved watching football i loved watching um basketball uh i hated baseball which is really funny considering what my career um path has looked like but i thought baseball was like watching paint dry it was so brutal and so it wasn't <laughs> until i went to my first game in 1999 which is so crazy that that story is so long ago but it was red sox yankees at family park Oh, wow. That's a great first one to go to. Oh my God. It was, it was incredible. I went with all Yankee fans, which, um, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You guys can't see what I'm getting, but yeah, it was kind of, it was intense, but it was, it sat in the bleachers, had a blast. I remember every single thing from that game, except the score of the game and what (laughs) happened in that game. Um, but it was an amazing experience. So I just feel like the love of the game started at three and it like, it just never went away. So in, you know, you say it was, what would you say, 1999 that you mm-hmm. went to that first game? 2002, yeah. you get that first job with the with the Red Sox where you're kind of starting as on the front line as an ambassador. Talk to us about how you, you got that first job and then how you kind of moved up within the organization over your nearly seven years there. Yeah, I... I can't, I still can't believe all that, that happened. Um, I went to, I moved to Boston to get my master's. Um, didn't really, I knew a few people, but didn't really have any like friends there. And, you know, quickly made friends through my then boyfriend um, and, and his sort of Boston family of friends. And I remember I was watching the news one morning and I was getting ready. And there was this man on TV talking about the Red Sox and the new ownership taking over and how they're hiring for this new position, 25 people, you know, the likelihood of you getting the job is like less than like 1% or something like that, like 0.0%, you know, basically telling you, you're not going to get paid a lot. Like it was just, but he did it in such an eloquent way that you're like, I don't care. Like I want it. I I can't (laughs) wait to do this. And so, but I remember watching it thinking, well, I'm getting my master's. I don't need a part-time job. And my boyfriend was like, you and he was you know a bostonian and he was just like if you get a job with the red Sox, i don't care what it is you take it and i was like what and he was like he totally knocked me off my high horse i was like but i'm getting my master's he's like it doesn't matter like it doesn't work that way and i was like ah, fine so i applied reluctantly at first and then i was like oh i want this job it was a three-month interview process four thousand people applied i'm super competitive wow. so then i was like oh now i really want it uh, and so they hired 25 of us and, and I'm not good at math, but you can do the math. It was like a less than a point, 0% <laughs> chance of us getting hired. And, um, that I just, the group that we were hired with, and because we were in such a, it wasn't high stress, but it, it was a very, like, it was a new role. It was challenging customer service or fan experience for Boston fans is not easy they are yeah, very opinionated 
Oh yeah, very lightly. opinionated yeah. and like I, you know, and I can't. I'm from New Jersey, and I still was like, oh, they're, like, <laughs> they're it. like yeah. And so it was a challenging job in that sense. It was my first, you know, real sort of job in sports, and so that group of people, like we really just kind of went through something together, and it was a blast like we had so much fun and then you know it was the great run too right so i think 2002 we didn't go to the uh, postseason 2003 we lost the yankees in the alcs i believe and then it was the first time um baseball made me cry like i literally cried when i forget i think it was aaron boone hit a home run and our season was over and then 2004 we broke the curse and won and i was like but i'm working and i'm like i can't believe i'm a part of this I can't believe I get a World Series ring. I can't believe that we all got flown to St. Louis. And then the same thing happened again in 2007. And I was like, this, like, how is this my job? How do I get the same ring that a player does? And we don't like when 2004, I didn't know we would get a ring because there, there was no like social media, right? Like you, I mean, there was, but it wasn't sure. what it is now. So no one's posting pictures when, you know, their ring front office ring ceremonies. You don't know those right. things are coming. There's no TikTok so like, of uh, a box opening with a laser shooting at it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Like there's none of that. And so I'm like, it was just, it was a special time. Plus I got to grow up professionally. So like I, it was one of those perfect storms where I'm like, I, I, I can't believe that happened and how how lucky am I? And like that's when I got thrown in the fire for managing people, right? And I didn't know what I was doing. And that's when I realized like there's not a lot of black people here, huh? Like in this office and like or Boston in general. So that wasn't it wasn't a yeah, shock sure. to me. It was just like, oh, okay. And there's not a lot of women. So like, yes, I my manager, direct manager, you know, is a female and but she can only do so much, right? She's managing a team of 25 people, plus she's got a thousand other things to do. So who else can I look to as mentors? And not saying you should just focus on women, but for me, that that was always what I did. I looked around the room for people who looked like me. And sure. I wanted to, you know, I just didn't, men wanted to tell you what you should do and women were nurturing. And so I always sort of leaned towards you know, having those conversations with women back then. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, you know, what did you do in that career? You know, because you're one of 25 people that are hired, right? And you're you're starting there. What do you think it was about you that helped you stand out and then, you know, get chosen? Not because you said you got lucky, right? But we both know that's a lot more than luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, what's really funny is I ask this question to people and they always are like, I have no idea. And I'm like, you have to know. And I literally am sitting here going, I have no, I have no idea. Like I just, <laughs> I, I the tables you know, on you. yeah, like I, I do, I will say that I showed up as my authentic self within professional guidelines, right? That's always the hard thing. Like, can you really show up as your authentic self at work? Like I, you know, I just, I, I was I was super nervous all the time. I was super anxious, but I hit all those things, which was not a good thing. We found out later on in life, but like I I just I was so passionate about the work we were doing. I wasn't focused on how much money we weren't making, which was frustrating. Um, I'm sure I, I vented about it to my you know the other ambassadors, but like I was like, but I really just want to be full time. Oh, okay, you're full time now. My salary is thirty two thousand dollars. 
great <laughs> you know and my mother's yeah and my yeah after i got my master's and you know my mom is just like well, okay what well, i just as long as you're happy but i think that's what it was i was just happy i was having a really good time um i was very ambitious and yes i had to advocate for myself and i was super awkward when i did it but i just kind of i just kept going and telling the people who can make decisions what i wanted to do um, saw opportunities to support my, my manager, you know, she was, she would go out and like, just try to get all these different, you know, things under her umbrella. And so I saw the opportunity when she would get something new to take something old off her plate. She still got to oversee it, but I saw the opportunity to do that. And I was very, I would try my hardest and I made sure I was around all the time. So I don't know if those are the things that got me there. You'd probably have to interview Sarah uh, McKenna, but um, that's what that's what I did. So, you know, from there, you are able to move into a job uh, with the Dodgers and then and the Cubs. Talk to us about transitioning and, and then continuing there in uh, Major League Baseball. That's when I first learned that I don't like maintaining programs. Right. So the ambassador program was created to um, fill a gap. The ownership saw a gap that the front office and the fans were disconnected. So we became the liaison between the front office and the fans. And then we were to improve or enhance the fan experience. So by 2007, I just felt like, all right, well, there's been a lot of, like it's evolved and we did what we came to do. Um, Like, I don't know, I feel like I'm maintaining programs and I don't get to take my boss's job. That's not how it works. And, but that's what I want my next move to be. So I think I have to go somewhere else. Uh, Lucky for me, my um, boss's boss, Charles Steinberg uh, had went to the Dodgers at the time. So he was at the Dodgers, he was their CMO. And so, you know, tampering is not allowed. So I, I just in baseball. So I just kind of left the Red Sox and went over to the Dodgers and that timing really worked out. They needed somebody to come in at the director level, which is the next level for me and run their, you know, fan experience. I think I was director of hospitality. And so it was just, again, right time, right place. Uh, It was moving out West somewhere warm um, somewhere I I had never lived before, but I loved far East coast to far West coast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was just, I saw the opportunity and I just jumped on it to help create a new program similar to the one that we had. Things weren't working there. Um, This one was a little bit, I got to have more responsibility in terms of who we included in the fan experience. And, you know, the fan, when you look at the fan experience, it's just not, you know, the ambassadors for us, right? It's the ushers, the ticket takers, it's food and beverage, it's the maintenance crew, it's the cleanup crew. So it's all the different groups and we got to work with everybody and include them in our mission to enhance the fan experience. And I, again, I guess I keep saying this, but I felt I felt really lucky to work on that opportunity. And then from there, you headed to uh, Chicago, back to the, uh, to the Midwest, where you had a, a pretty solid run with the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. So the Dodgers, um, after about a year, we made some great strides there. Uh, ownership got a divorce, you know, found out that our president was fired via like TMZ. Like it was, it was just really, really messy. What's funny is I remember being in the kitchen with, um, I'm, I'm always close with my coworkers, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I just, it is what it is. And so 
I remember being in the kitchen with all of them. I was like, I think I want, I'm still at the Dodgers. I was like, I think next, you know, down the line, I want to work for the Cubs. Like I'm thinking of all these iconic major, you know, brands. And so, you know, when everything at the Dodgers sort of folded and they fired like 20 people all at once, um, anybody who the president had brought in, which I was under that umbrella. And so I was like, okay, well, what's next? And the Cubs, they had an opportunity. There was an article in the paper um, by, it was, I forget who it's by, but Tom Ricketts is quoted saying, I, I want a chief hospitality officer. I want someone to take care of the fans. And it was that, that little quote that a friend sent me and he was like, this is you. I was like, oh, I can't be a chief. Like I, <laughs> that was the first, that was my first reaction. And yeah, I, sure. I showed it, showed it to Charles uh, Steinberg and he was like, you can do this job. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yes. And I was like, okay. So then I, I, we came up with a plan. I emailed the owner and the president. And then I also went old school and sent them a FedEx letter because, you know, gatekeepers and let me try all the Damn different right. ways. No, I'm a big yeah. believer in that. Yeah. And so I sent them and there was no job description. There was no way to apply. So I had to get in that way. And a week later, I um, heard from, you know, the president of the Cubs. And then, you know, I had an interview. And then two weeks after that, I, I got a job offer and um, the, the, really the position was sort of, I, I don't know if it was created. It was bra- It was definitely brand new. And so I got to help shape that and bring the ambassador program to the Cubs. And then the next step after that was bringing it, extending it to all the different groups that make up the fan experience, which was an incredible, incredible opportunity at an incredible venue. Like I was, I, I loved it. And I, I think I loved it a little more than the other teams because there was so many more day games at the time. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that that felt nice. It was easier. I always thought I would go into football once I got older, right? But you know, the best laid plans. But that was yeah, but that that really helped. I was like, oh, I mean, I'm starting to get tired of all these night games all the time. As as somebody who grew up going to Wrigley before they had lights. Uh, I will tell you that that's a, there's something there's something magical about uh, about Wrigley Field. Mm-hmm. So you're there for five years, and am I am I am I getting my timing right that you actually leave just before the Cubs win their World Series? Sure did, sure did. <laughs> Does that so, break your heart? Here's what I you I'm set them on that path though. I mean, the the Red Sox <laughs> broke their curse. You I'm set them up, and then you said. You know, go free and fly, and then you left. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. And then Theo came there after me. I'm just, I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I did. So I left 2015. So that year they went to the postseason. Um, and I remember watching the postseason. I was in LA. I was, I was working on um, Super Bowl, and I remember watching like in a bar with friends, and they're like, "How you feeling?" I was like, "I am." I, it wasn't the same for me. If this was like Red Sox 2004, I'd be devastated. Like I didn't have the same group of friends. Like it was just when I went there at, at a director level running a program, like I couldn't be friends with the people I was hiring. Yeah. Like I was, it was just like a totally different experience for me. And, and that's no shade at the Cubs at all. Um, it was just, it was different. And so the only reason I 
it didn't break my heart is because I have two World Series rings and I have uh, been there through, you go. Okay. yeah, and like, and I've been through an incredible experience. But if I had no rings, I I think my reaction would be different. Yeah, that's the honest so, truth. You know, shortly after time with the you know with the Cubs, you you know you kind of you know strike it on your own where you become this founder, chief experience officer uh, with you know the the Jay Blake group. How scary was that transition for you? So scary that I was ready to do it. And then somebody gave me advice that validated my fears. Here you go again, people giving you advice, but not asking you any questions about you. Uh-oh. And they, this was a projection of, of this person. And he said, you need to go. He's like, what you really want to do is get consulting experience before you become a consultant. I had consulting experience. I was consulting within the Cubs, but he validated a fear of mine. And so I thought, well, you're right. So I got a job working with Deloitte which is really hard to do. Like I, after the interview, I cried. I was like, that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do when it comes to interviews. And like, I've had a, you know, I've worked for three teams and like, (laughs) it was, that was hard. And I did it for a year within like two months. I realized it wasn't for me. I do not like corporate world. Um, And so I said, I can leave. This is the conversation I had with myself. You can leave, but you have to have a client. Like go do it. And I actually didn't like really talk to a lot of people because I didn't want anyone to give, I didn't want anyone to like steer me in the wrong direction. And so I just took that leap of faith. I got my first contract, Super Bowl, Pro Bowl. It was um, great. That was a great opportunity. Great timing. NFL was trying something new with this whole wayfinding program, but they wanted a level of guest services to it. So I was like, oh, that's, I can do that. I'm really good at logistics. Like doesn't matter what the the puzzle is. And then Yes, like the people part, that's really where I like I, I soar. So I, I jumped at that opportunity. And when I was done, I remember being like, oh, shoot. Well, what's next? Like six months went by so fast. And it was all because of one post um, that I made when I was done with the contract. Someone reached out to me and within like two weeks, I had another one. And my post was like, yay, I'm done. Like, this was a great experience. And someone's like, hey, I forgot that you're out on your own. And then it just kept going um, from there. So as part of this process, you launched your own podcast, right? Yes, that <laughs> yeah, I did. And that be, that took a year uh, for me to finally do it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fact finder and I'm slow sometimes because I just want to get things right and I want it to be perfect. And it, it's not perfect, but I love doing it. Um, I decided to do it because when I started Um, my own business. You guys talked about being isolated, right? So when I started my own business, oh, it was super isolating. I mean, yeah, and the the uncertainty has caused me to put in so much weight that I I still can't get rid of. And so like I ate a lot of pizza and just was just so just like, I'm working from home now. Like the transition was really difficult for me. And I, I finally decided like, I need, I need to hear from other entrepreneurs. So I started listening to this podcast and my husband and I have always wanted to like really just, you know, do what retired people do now, which is lives, you know, in Florida or somewhere warm in Georgia. And then, you know, during the winter and then come back here in Chicago in the summertime. So we were like, we'll start off small. So we went to Florida for three weeks rented a place this is before everyone started doing it during you know COVID this was before right. it was trendy we were so excited and we got like an inexpensive place and I remember driving on the way back I was driving so I was in control of the radio and I played this uh podcast called Biz Chicks and I was like oh, let's give it a try 
and it's a business coach similar to me, right? Career coach, business coach, talking, like interviewing all these different women who have their own businesses. And we listened to it the whole way home. And then, so I listened to it forever. And I was like, this is what I wish I had when I first started in sports. And so that's how I created Game of Her Own. But I was so busy with consulting at that time. And I could only take on like maybe five or six coaching clients at that time. So I was like, I just, I don't have the bandwidth to start this yet. I want to. And then COVID hit a year later. And I was like, well, I got nothing yeah, else yeah. to do. I'm a, yeah. like all of, yeah, all of my contracts were either paused <laughs> or canceled. Yeah, we get so it. We get it. So, yeah. We were so talking like, about it for like a year or two. And we're like, we don't have time to do this. Like, when are we going to do this? Well, I was like, you got nothing but time. Like, hey, remember that podcast thing we were talking about? Yes. And then yeah. almost having too much time is a bad thing. So I was like, I kept delaying the start date because I was like, ah, oh, we got to do this. We got to do, and like, I wanted it to be perfect and like, Look, I had too much time on my hands because all the consulting contract work was paused. And I was like, sure. well, like, let's fill up this time. So, I, I mean, my poor editor, she's still with me and co-producer. She's still with me to this day. And <laughs> like, thank God for I'm, good editors and producers. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so that's why I started it because of the, finally I had the vision and then I finally had the time. And now um, time is not as easy, but I can't, I can't stop. Like you guys know, right? Like you just like there's I can't say bye to this. Like I gotta I I gotta keep going because I keep hearing from people how it helps them. Right. And it's really it's that is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Jahan, I feel like we could go for another hour easily, but I know you're uh, busy. We gotta we gotta wrap things up here. If somebody wants to uh, learn more about you or you know your business or or you know reach out, what's what's the best place for people to find you these days or even find the podcast? Yes. So podcast is available, Game of Her Own. Um, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, so you can find it in iTunes, Spotify, you do all the things. And then my, you can email me. That's the easiest way. Sometimes people don't like Instagram or LinkedIn. So jblake at jahanblake.com, super simple. Uh, and then, you know, my website, jahanblake.com. And then I am on all the not all the socials. That's that's too much. But I am on Instagram uh, and LinkedIn uh, at Jahan Blake, uh, so people can follow me there. That's where I share a lot of tips um, and easy free things for people to kind of sort of pick up on and motivate them to just kind of get through their day. And I'll mention Jahan is J A H A A N Blake yes. traditional spelling. So yeah. So hey, can't tell you how much I appreciate your time. I love what you're doing to help people in, in the industry. I think it's great, and uh, definitely look forward to checking out the pod. Yes. Thank you, Dave, Paul. This was so much fun. I really love talking to you. Really could have talked to you guys all day long. And, and a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes, just like John, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. 
Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.